Welcome to the TALON project. TALON stands for Teaching and Learning Online Network. As we adjust to the new COVID-19 reality, TALON provides a platform for sharing and discussing resources and practices for remote education. You can learn more at taloncloud.ca. Enjoy this episode. Today, I have Jane McFarlane with me, and Jane, I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself, tell us a bit about you and your role at U of C and what you do. Sure. I am a sessional instructor in the drama division of the School of Creative and Performing Arts. I, um, I've been, this is my third year teaching. Um, before that, I was a guest instructor with the drama division. I teach voice for the actors, so speaking voice, not singing voice, and acting. Um, I'm also the resident voice coach for Theatre Calgary, the voice and dialect consultant for Vertigo Theatre, and the voice and text coach for the Shakespeare Company. Before that, I was um, at Mount Royal University. I was the program coordinator for the performance program there for 14 years. And then before that, I was in teaching in the States. Um, so most of my work is um, really live and in person, um, which is tricky right now, of course. <laughs> there is no work in the theater this coming year. Um, so I won't be doing any of those other titles that I have. Um, but certainly my classroom work, my studio work is with a small cohort, usually about 20 people maximum in a class and we're up on our feet and working and present together so this is a real new um, new world for us to try and figure out how to navigate this so am i correct in saying that you've before covid and everything that's happened in the last little while you haven't really done any online or remote teaching whatsoever brand new brand new okay brand new so given that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so given that and the fact that uh, generally what you do is so physically based and, and uh, really based in that um, in-person experience, what, what has been the biggest challenge <laughs> of moving to remote teaching? It's making sure that the work is still um, strong if that makes any sense right like especially when you're teaching acting it's about the relationship between the two people and when it's through this you have to actually be more focused and you have to be um more integrated in a way because it's not the same as acting on film strangely enough it's not that at all um so that's a real challenge because it's so easy to be distracted. One of the things we always talk about for performers is that they need to be grounded and they need to be present. And um, you see that in speakers, uh, not just actors necessarily, right? So anybody who has to give a presentation, they have to be really present and energetic and alive. Um, and it's very easy for that to disappear in this medium. Right. You know, Zoom has been great because we can still contact each other, but it's really easy to sort of sit back and disconnect in a way that um, that's not how my work goes. Right. Mm -hmm. So people have to be a, a lot more present. Um, 
So that was a huge switch in the spring when everything just suddenly shut down. Um, at the end of the semester, we were supposed to do scene work. So between two people and it, we tried, but it didn't, it just didn't quite work. So trying to figure out how to do that, um, the group work is, is really, really challenging. Um, and, you know, one way we do it is by everybody else turning off their cameras and turning off their microphones. And then the two people who are doing the scene, then they can work together. Um, so that's, that's one way of, of doing it um, so that they're just talking to each other mm -hmm. through the camera. Um, so that, that's, that's one way. Um, uh, one of the other instructors who teaches directing, we collaborated so that her directing students who were supposed to be directing scenes for live theater, um, instead we pivoted and she had her students coaching my students um, on their monologues, right? They had to do auditions to go into the upper years of the program. And so they would, it was an opportunity instead of directing scenes, which were just, just couldn't happen um, because nobody could be in a room together, right? This was back in March. Um, and then they, had to really learn how to work with an actor so it was it was beneficial for the for the directing students to have that opportunity to work really quite intimately through this medium uh, i don't know if it helped the actors <laughs> all right and then my I, I mean i'm mainly a voice coach and so my other work because it's a little bit more individual that's been fine in a way um right away the on march 27th is world theater day and we wanted to do something with uh the school of creative and performing arts in the drama division so i said well why don't i do a warm-up and so i did a warm-up that day and 300 people from around the globe came to that and um by the end of june it had had 1200 views so i thought oh okay maybe there's there's something here so i just stopped at the beginning of august doing a weekly vocal warm-up through zoom and people just set their time wherever they were to drop in and, and take the class and i did that um I did it for free. I just let people come if they could. And if they wanted to give me a donation, they could. Um, but that, that worked really well. And everybody who did that had some voice training, right? Not necessarily with me, but they had some voice training. So they understood the process and they knew what they were doing. But another challenge is to begin the work because the voice is so physically based. So that really requires me to be very clear in my communication. So that takes a little bit longer through this process rather than just being able to be in a space together and physically demonstrate it and help the, the student 
understand what's happening in their own body because I'm right there with them. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little harder to sort of see what they're doing physically. I can hear it and I can give the note, but I can't, the adjustments and the, um, the notes are a little bit harder for the students to pick up on. So that's, that's tricky for sure because the, I have started working with um, another organization in Calgary, Skipping Stone, which supports transgender people in their transition. So I've been teaching um, voice um, for mainly uh, trans women, understanding how to work their voice. And that, that has worked well because it is a safe space for them regardless because they are in their own space. So they can experiment, turn their mic off, and just follow along with me. Um, and so those have been actually really successful. Um, I will be curious as to how it's going to work in the, well, no, all my voice classes actually are in person this fall. So, and until we, until the numbers spike, and then, and then I'll have to figure out how to do it again. <laughs> but it's challenging for sure and there are there are pieces missing and a kind of short form that happens in the work uh when you're face to face mm -hmm. um that that's missing and so the communication i think is the most important part and being really specific about what i'm asking and what the expectation is and what the outcome might be Right, you know, I don't like to deal in absolutes when it comes to outcomes, right? Um, but um, if I, you know, sort of send you in your general in the general direction, then um, then the student then has to be really responsible for where they think they are in the work and being able to articulate it themselves. So the communication on both sides has to be really, really clear. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've, um, through uh, navigating those challenges, you've already identified some um, interesting or good things that are coming out of it too, like that added accessibility where so many more people can attend your workshops or um, that safe space of being in your own home, those kind of things. Um, what other opportunities do you think are created by digital education? Well, I think it is the freedom of it, right? And the choice, uh, right, that that you can sort of hit it whenever you want, right? Because I've also taught this summer this um, large lecture course um, that was asynchronous. So people could do it from all over the place. Like I had one student in Brazil, I had one student in China. <laughs> Poor them though, because there were three zoom meetings that were synchronous in the class so they had to set their alarms <laughs> <laughs> but there is a, a a freedom in there but again as the instructor you have to be really clear on your parameters really clear on what the boundaries are around the uh, assignments um, and deadlines, you have to really communicate over and over and over again. Like I would record lectures, I would put messages in the news items on D2L and send emails. So 
I was making sure I was repeating the message at least three times. Um, and so, you know, D2L offers that opportunity where I have all these different modes of communicating with the students because it's really important, but um, I have to make sure I say it two or three times, which I would face-to-face, -face. right? I would do that. Um, and then what is your most software or, or most used software or tool for online teaching? D2L, for sure. Yeah. Right? The, I have become the D2L queen. We're not very good about it in the School of Creative and Performing Arts. Okay. Nobody uses it but me, I think. <laughs> but um, now, well, we all have to get better at it now. And I like D2L because... Um, it it makes sure that there's a contract between myself and the student and all the information is available to them 24 7 and they can get they can get the information that they need about assignments and due dates and all of that it's all posted it's all available to them um because i i resist a little bit that I need to be available to students 24 seven, right? Because when I was at university, I could not contact my profs on the weekend, right? So that expectation, forget it. You can wait and I can wait too. Um, but D2L has been really great. And now I, I understand all the things that are available that help support the success of the student, but also making sure that the course runs really, really smoothly. So that's great. And then of course, the other thing is Zoom. I wish I bought shares of Zoom. Yeah, I'm sure we all do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you use, um, like, are you, are you using a lot of the features in D2L, like the time release tool for, yeah. I'm using time release. I try to use Yuja to begin with. Um, and I find it a really limited platform, actually, um, and really, really frustrating because I don't find, I think because I live with two filmmakers, um, I don't find that their editing, the editing software in Yuja is very useful, right? So when I was filming my lectures, we just filmed my lectures. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was, much easier to just do that and then uh, have a closed YouTube um, channel of my own that then I could drop the lectures into the content. Okay. So I, I found Yuja massively frustrating, even though there's great tools through the Taylor Institute and tutorials and all those guides and they made it look easy and um, and I, I just found it a really useless tool, actually. Fair enough. Uh, sounds like you have access to some other great things, though, and, and people I, I do. help you. Yeah, yeah, which is, yeah, which does make it a little bit easier. But that sort of stuff isn't hard. I think that whatever you've got on your computer, if you know how to do iMovie, if you're a Mac user or if you're a PC user, I think those tools actually might be stronger than mm -hmm. Egypt. Fair enough. Yeah.
Uh, and then what is your favorite resource for teaching online? YouTube. I found, because the course that I was teaching was creativity, I found so many things that I could use to um, sort of fill out my lectures and make them more, I don't know, fun and interesting. And, and so YouTube was great. I only had one thing blocked. I tried to put up, because um, I talked about how, oh no, about the name of the musician, the blues musician, Robert Benson? No, I can't remember. The name of the blues musician who they say made a pact with the devil. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and he was a guitarist um, and court, died young and, and everything. And they say that that's who the Stones stole their sound from. And so I tried to play Sympathy for the Devil at the beginning of one of the lectures and that got blocked. Really? <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> but everything else I was able to get access to. And, um, you know, I was still using the library and still putting up readings and things like that. Um, and the library was really supportive and the copyright office was really supportive in helping me put up material to read. But then finding um, complementary resources on TED Talks and, and, and YouTube from the actual books, right? From the actual authors. That was great to include that material in the lectures. So it was really great to use that. All right. And then um, I feel like things in the next few months are not even clear at the moment, but um, no. what do you expect higher education might look like in the future in 10 years, say? I know the answer is supposed to be more remote learning, but I think it will be less. I think one of the things that we are actually discovering in this time is that what happens in the classroom is actually incredibly important. The contact between instructor and student, it doesn't matter if you're five in kindergarten or 35 in grad school, the human connection and the ability to work together is lost on this platform right and so i i think that the idea is we will have more of this but i i, I think we're all um realizing that the actual face-to-face -face contact um and the human experience is all a part of the learning process and we learn better when we're together so i i I know that the idea is we're going to have more of this, but I think we will have less and hopefully smaller classes, actually. Yes. I don't think that'll happen um, in the immediate future because education is changing so greatly, so rapidly, particularly in this country. Um, but I do think that down the line, 10, 20 years, large lectures, um, large lectures in person probably won't happen maybe large lectures asynchronously because this class worked fine right but i think the further we go in our education and the higher the years become right through your undergraduate and definitely in your graduate that the remote learning isn't actually as um, a 
effective. It's just not as effective. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I've had obviously a few of these conversations now with different people and um, you know, the issues and challenges with online learning seem to be the same for everybody, obviously. It's, it's that lack of presence, um, not being able to see visual cues of what's going on and reading, reading the room kind of thing. Um, but no one has actually said that they expect less of it. So it's, it's interesting to, to hear that and it makes sense. In that, in that way. Yeah, I think, um, I, I know that the expectation is that we're going to get more, but I think that's, if you're speaking mainly to Albertans, that's because we're expecting the government cuts, right? And that it's a way for universities, I think, in the near future to try and generate revenue. Um, and that perhaps, like, I don't know that creativity will ever be in person again. Right. Um, but I think we're all lamenting the loss right like if you look at especially people who have kids who should be in school and suddenly they're homeschooling they're realizing what those true aspects of being in that building with the teacher and your peers is all about right and the strength of it mm -hmm. so i think I think we're going to realize that that's actually the <laughs> one second. <laughs> Apologies for Barky. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me this afternoon and I guess is there anything else that you want to add to the conversation um no I think uh I think one thing that we've learned is that um we are uh well because I taught the course, but we are creative individuals. And when we have to pivot, we did it very quickly and we did it effectively. Um, one of the things that I hear significantly from my students though, is the stress of this, doing it this way. Um, so that's another reason why I think that we'll do less of it. Not more. Yeah, more, much more, I think it will be combined more than it will be one or the other. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This episode was produced by Talon. You can find the video of the interview and more at talencloud.ca. The Talon Project is funded by the Richard Parker Initiative. It is hosted at the School of Architecture, Planning and Landscape at the University of Calgary. Thank you for listening.